Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Today's show features Navot Sharesh, president at Spire Integrated Systems. Israeli-born Navot Sharesh began his relationship with the tech industry while serving in the Israeli army. After his service ended, Navot moved to Michigan in 1994 to study electrical engineering at the University of Michigan-Dearborn. In 2001, he decided to take his passion for providing high-quality audio and video systems and founded Spire Integrated Systems. Spire currently employs 20 employees between their Detroit and Traverse City locations. Spire Integrated Systems has been titled Best of Detroit 2019 by the Our Detroit Magazine in three different categories, including places to buy audio and stereo. We live streamed this interview on our One Firefly Facebook page on Saturday, April 4th, 2020 at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. In this conversation, we discussed Navot's strategy for handling the 21-day lockdown in Michigan imposed by the governor due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Navot's approach to value-based leadership during this time of crisis, Navot's perspective on the future of our industry and why we matter to our communities after the coronavirus, and the power of recurring revenue inspires SPS Ready service contract approach. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's jump into my interview with Navot Shoresh. Navot, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How did I do with the pronunciation? You did great. Awesome. You did great. That trick works. <laughs> that 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 is a great trick. I like that. That's that's very good. Now, for those that, uh, by the way, thank you for coming to us here on a Saturday morning uh, to record. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, I always like to start out uh, my interviews with just you introducing yourself and maybe going into the wayback machine. And uh, you are running a, a leading integration firm out of Michigan. But if you could take us, you know back to your origins and then bring us to the present, that would be great. Okay. Um, So I grew up in Israel. I was born in Israel. Um, I spent my, uh, you know, my early years, I guess, until the age of 24. So I grew up uh, in a kibbutz in Israel outside of Haifa, for those who knows what that is. Um, And I served uh, in the military for uh, almost four years. Uh, I was in the military actually during the first Iraq war. So my team was supposed to leave early, but we got held back to, you know, support if, in the case of this getting expanded. Um, after the military, um, I worked a little bit for my dad in a, in a factory, learned, you know, a little bit about how to, you know, deal with a day-to-day job. But, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. Uh, I started my first company right right after the military. Um, I took a contract for the Israeli cable company was was just being established. Um, I worked on with that contract with a friend of mine from the military for about a year, made great money, and um, really liked that the idea of running my own show. Um, I then took off like a lot of Israelis do after military and went on a long trip around the world. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to Australia, I went to, you know, the Far East, I went to Europe, uh, 
And then uh, at the same time, I had a girlfriend that was from uh, Michigan. Um, and then when we came back, we, you know, um, after a couple of years in Israel, we decided to move. So I moved here in 94, uh, in, uh, right in the fall, I moved to Michigan. Um, I, you know, it was a really a big shock for me because all of my connections, all of my, uh, you know, opportunities, all, all the things that I knew uh, kind of basically went away. And I, I kind of had to start, you know, for those of you who have been an immigrant, you know how it is. It's like you start from scratch. Um, I took a job after a couple of, you know, part-time jobs. I took a job with a company that was building um, uh, cable infrastructure and uh, point-to-point data before uh, Wi-Fi. I was using microwave antennas. Um, I worked on some very high buildings in Detroit in the middle of the winter. <laughs> and uh, it was a pretty brutal uh, reality really quickly. I, um, while I was doing this, I went to electrical engineering at, uh, at the University of Michigan in Dearborn. Uh, I was doing most of my classes at night after work. Uh, it took me a little bit longer than usual. Uh, but then, uh, you know, in the middle of school, I just, I actually started a small company that was doing installation. Um, I was working, the company I worked for worked on Joe Louis Arena. And that's a funny story how I got actually into the residential because that's never been in my course of, you know, wants, needs, or, you know, desires. Uh, we were working on Joe Louis Arena and we were fixing the TV system throughout the building. And I ran into a couple of the executives who said, hey, can you come and fix my system at home. That led to me meeting a couple of the players and they asked me the same thing. Can you come and fix my system at home? Um, I have a really funny story. I went to uh, this one guy who was a Russian. Um, I didn't know he was a player, I, you know, and I went to his house and we were going downstairs to walk, to look at his media system that he had. Uh, and we we're talking in the nineties. And um, He's, I look around and he's got all his memorabilia everywhere of, you know, the Russian army uh, team and the Red Wings. And, and I looked, I'm like, wow, you're, you're a big hockey fan. And he just started laughing, you know, and he's like, you have no idea who I am. I said, no, I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't know much about hockey. <laughs> and it was Konstantinov. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And he said, uh, you know, uh, have you ever watched a game of hockey? I said, nope, no clue what that is. And he gave me a pair of tickets and I went to the game and it was, that's how I got into residential. Um, and you realized he was the star. I, yeah, I didn't start. I realized that quickly, you know, um, but that's how I got into the residential world and, uh, kind of evolved from there was doing a lot of installation for other people, mostly fixing things and then just started slowly building a company that, you know, that spires today. So tell us what what is Spire today, and you know I realize there's a little bit of craziness going on in the air. We'll, we'll get into plenty of that, but uh, let's just yeah. say, if it was not COVID nineteen, and someone said describe your business today, what what is it? What type of projects do you do? What size team do you have, and such? So um, I know in our industry we usually you know term how big the company is, or so I would say that we focus on kind of two columns. We focus on extremely what I would say um, what in our industry call high end. A lot of you know a lot of really um, large lighting, audio, video, shades, kind of a whole home systems. But we also have a very good uh, you know niche. I would say in the world of less complicated, you know less complex systems, not as much distributed, but more 
really great hot, you know, great, you know, lighting system with a great cup, you know, two rooms of really great music. And we actually do really well with both sides. And I can tell you where we don't do well, because I think it's really important to know is somewhere in the middle, there's that world of complex systems with, you know, you know, limited, I would say somewhat limited budget, not a whole lot of focus on performance, and but focus on like how many zones of audio, how many zones of video. That world, we do not do well uh, because it does not allow us, there's not enough budget for engineering team to come into play to execute correctly. And there's quite honestly, we, we call it uh, in, my in my sales team, I, we call it meaningful work and meaningful relationships. Um, that's from a book called Principles. Uh, by Ray Dalio. So, Ray Dalio. Yeah. yeah, I've got and it you, right, right over here. I'm trying to yeah. search it right, right over there on my bookshelf. My Bible. That's the Bible, <laughs> and it's uh, meaningful work and meaningful relationship. Is it something you know? When I tell my sales guys, if when you bring this on, are you going to be excited to talk about the installation team and tell them about this project, or is it going to be like excuses, like ah, you know, he didn't really want to do this, he didn't want to. So meaningful work, meaningful relationship, that's what we're looking for. And sometimes it applies in these very large complex projects uh, that we do a few a year. And it, then it very much apply in high performance audio, video. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with music and I, I'm surprised um, how far our industry went away from it. Music is emotional and uh, music is impactful. Um, I have the same feeling about lighting. Lighting and uh, for those of you who have not started in the world of the human-centric lighting, um, I have actually Ketra at home. In my whole house, we converted to Ketra, and I'm totally in love with that product. It's completely makes the place feels completely different throughout the day. Just to go down that that rabbit hole a little bit, uh, yeah. in terms of human-centric lighting, uh, I agree. I think it's, it's once you experience it, you could argue, how could I ever live any other way? Mm -hmm. What, how are you, how I'm just curious, how's the design community and or your customers responding to that topic, to that subject? So you have to show it. There's no, uh, you know, again, we, you know, there's a big discussion in the industry about, you know, showroom, no showroom. When it comes to lighting, anything that affects emotions, you could talk about it all you want, but if you show it, it really is impactful. So we have it set up in our office. We've actually were one of the first showrooms in the country with full Ketra. Um, and we showed it and designers would, who I couldn't get to come to my office for 10 minutes, would come in and stay for two hours and learn about it. Because for the first time, you know, like when they look at music and television, to them, it's almost like a distraction. For the first time, we have a product that brings tremendous amount of value to what they're doing because now we're bringing and showing them their architecture in different lighting and what it, the effect it does on the space. And I think that is an, an, you know, an incredible story to tell. Um, and it leads to many, many things that you wouldn't have otherwise thought about. We've won jobs just because we had, you know, we proposed Ketra and we were brought in to do the rest of the stuff versus like what we traditionally do is audio, video, you know, control, control, control. Now we actually have something that affects human behavior, affects, you know, how you feel in the house. And if, you know, again, that's really what we're trying to accomplish is add value. So, so you'll, you'll lead with human centric lighting and that will bring everything else with it. 
I would, I would, I mean, I always listen to the customer, what's important to them. Um, we always show it to them. We always have a discussion about it. Uh, and then you can see their reaction. Some react to it and say, eh, I don't care. But I would say 90% of the time, it's like, I really want to know more about this. And some will do it, some will not. But it does always lead to discussion about the broader, they're not coming to you just for basic stuff. They're looking at you from a different, completely different angle all of a sudden. Yeah. No, that's 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 very, very interesting. Um, question for you. You're we're all dealing with this. And I just in in the prep for the show, you told me you Michigan's now on a 21 day lockdown. So just yeah. let's tell the audience what, what's going on for Spire right now. What what are you what are you dealing with? So what we're dealing with right now is basically the governor of Michigan decided to uh, put us in 20, you know, justifiably so, to put us in 21 days worth of, uh, what do they call it, shelter in place in here. Right. <laughs> um, and for you, that means job sites as well? Job sites are closed. Yeah, we all construction is altered in Michigan. I know a lot of states have let construction sites continue. We actually are completely in lockdown. So all of our job sites are closed. We obviously cannot go into people's homes. Um, so what we've decided to do is, again, um, is to try to take advantage of the time and say, okay, what can we do? And then we're taking it day by day now. You know, we are evaluating all the time. We're evaluating what programs we have. But we started with a very, very simple goal. At the end of this crisis, whatever this ends, I want to have my team intact. That is the most important part to me. And that's, that's every day. That's what we figure what to do is how to keep that going. Um, so for us right now, we are in complete training mode, uh, uh, you know, capturing a new, you know, new way of doing things. Uh, uh, we do uh, document every process we have in our, in our system. We, you and I talked about it. We spent the last two days with our programming team and uh, PMs of how we're setting up every system from now on on the lighting side. So that took us about two days of con conversation, documentation. Next week, we're, we're tackling pre-wire, uh, you know, our, all of our teams do, you know, a pre -wire. What was the process, if you, if you don't mind, Novo, yeah. what, what was the process, uh, you know, when the lockdown got uh, instituted, it sounds like there you've decided and mandated we're going to be better on the other side of this lockdown than we were going in. But there then would have had to have almost been a listing of all the projects. What are all the areas of the business that we need to work on? And then how yeah. did you do that? And how did you prioritize what to work on? So I have an amazing leadership team in my company. We run, our company runs on a, a platform called EOS. And uh, we, we, we do as well, Navot. Okay, great. There you go. <laughs> so uh, I have an amazing uh, leadership team, and we basically separated each one what they're responsible for, and each one tackle you know one area, and we basically establish you know here's the training for all the installers. Here's what the design team is going to be working on. Here's what the office team is going to work. This is what ops is going to do, and we divided and conquered. Um, and we, you know, you're right. We did agree to come out on the other side better. We did ag agree to come on the other side complete, which is a huge sacrifice uh, financially. I mean, a lot of risk involved. And um, but I think there's something to be said about it to send a message to your team when you come out of it. We're going to come out running. We're not going to come out walking. 
We're not going to come limping. We're going to come running because uh, we haven't. Uh, the, our workload hasn't changed. We haven't lost jobs. People haven't said, "Hey, we're not going to complete this." People constantly says, "Hey, as soon as you can get back to work, please, you know, put me as your priority." Right. So I know what's coming. I think the biggest difference between this crisis and the th- 2008 is there's a finite timeline when this is going to end. It may not be a next month. It may take a little bit longer for the whole country to clear out of it, but there's a finite time this is going to end, right? Um, you know, I know in Michigan, the reality is that by May 1st, we're going to, op- you know, they're going to have, you know, open up because we passed the point of peak. And, but I, so I have, I, I can see where the end is. And I think in 2008, from a lot of people, there was so, so much uncertainty how long this is going to last. This is finite. And I think that's what everybody should remember as, as uh, difficult as it is, as scary as it is, it's, it's very finite. It's, you know, you can actually see where it's going to end. I mean, I'm sure they're going to be a repercussion of all the stuff that's happening to us and the economy is going to suffer, but it's, we know where it is. So there, there are integrators watching and listening to this and or that, that you and I both know that have decided as soon as the um, whisper of uh, nationwide lockdown started to get talked about, you know, there's all this, you know, forecasting and prognosticating regarding what is it going to mean for our industry and the country and the world. And in many cases, many of them laid off some or all, or maybe laid off or furloughed, whatever word you use, significant portions of their team. And it sounds like you're taking the opposite approach and you're saying, I want to keep the team intact. Can you just talk about how you came to that decision and, and, and which one is right? So obviously there's no, you know, there's no right or wrong. I mean, we all have different situations. So I would say that um, we ran, we always ran Spire as a very lean operation, very low debt, um, always had cash on hand because we always use cash on hand to take advantage of better purchases, right? So uh, we've always had that mentality. We never overexpended. We never overhired or taking jobs again when you when you focus really clearly and your principles you know and your focus is really solid always on meaningful work meaningful relationship you don't find yourself taking jobs that take a beating on you and you need to hire more people to just complete them right so i think a lot of it is preparation so but i would say to those who are like what i've done what we've done it's cuz i believe as as a leader when you start a company and you hire people in it's just like your kids you can't just say, you know, hey, guys, um, it's really tough right now. So one of you needs to go, you know, go somewhere else, you know, live with, uh, live with your grandma. Um, it, it's a responsibility that you take on as an employer. And I understand. I mean, again, you and I had a conversation about value proposition or value leadership. Yeah. What are your values? If, if it's all about preserving myself, then I understand. I understand. But for me, it was never just about money. It was about creating something greater, you know, something that is solid. And I think it will, you know, if you did keep your, you know, your employees as much as you could, again, I'm talking now, if this thing lasts for another two months, we might have a completely different conversation, you know, and if these loans don't come through and, you know, uh, we may have a different conversation, but the first and first priority I have and every day I work on it is to keep my team intact. 
And it's okay to go back to your team and says, hey, guys, here's where we're at. What, sh- what should we do together? You know, yeah. is it taking a pay cut, you know, additional time, you know, PTOs? Um, Let, let's get into the PTO thing because I, yeah. I know that you I, – I also run a PTO program at One Firefly, so I don't have yeah. sick leave versus vacation time. It's just one category one cat, PTO. Yeah. Yeah. This keeps everyone honest. I don't need any reasons or excuses. You're not working. Just take your day off. I it's it's your business. It's your business. Yeah. Um, so you have a PTO program, paid time off. Paid and time. you have elected because you you can't send, you know, many of your people, they cannot go to job sites right now. Literally, there's yeah. not not a job site. No job sites. And so yeah. do you mind sharing what you did regarding your PTO program? Yeah. So, you know, in PTO, essentially you're, you know, accumulating as you work through the year, you're accumulating more and more PTOs. Um, You know, we give, uh, I think, 14 14 days PTO, and then you get more, you know, the longer you're in the company. Um, So what we've done is we basically uh, fronted all the PTOs to all of our employees for the entire year so they can use them right now and still get paid. Again, our goal was to keep our employees employed, not just because, you know, for the fun of it, but just that they have money and they, they're not getting into a point where they're in, in tough spots, right? So we basically allocated all their 14 days of PTOs to work from, to, you know, and then uh, the last, and then Jason and uh, my partner and I decided for the next two weeks until these new loans are going to take into effect, we're going to basically front the next payroll period. Uh, we committed to it. We committed to it from front, and that's what we're going to do. Um, and then we're dealing again at war. You learn very quickly. It's one day at a time. One day turns into a week. You know, a week into two, and then the crisis is over. And that's again all that all that you have in mind. Um, that's what we've done. I want to uh, so much. I want to talk to you about. Uh, so I want to. I want to pick my topics because I know your time is limited, and uh, and I'm our audience. Their time is limited. Yeah. Um, I do. You just mentioned the loan. So obviously, there's the CARES Act, the PPP program, the Payroll mm-hmm. Protection Program. Yes. Uh, I, I'm assuming you applied yesterday. I did. And uh, what is your understanding uh, of? of how that's going to work out. Uh, when do you think uh, people watching are going to get uh, some sort of notice from their bank as to whether they do or do not qualify? And, you know, what do you think will be the the payout ultimately? So we submitted ours yesterday. Uh, we got confirmation it was processed today. When do we get to see the money? I don't know. <laughs> I'm hoping in, you know, two to three weeks. Um, you know, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, but that's again. I, I think there's all these different programs right now. There is the, um, you know, the Family First Act that you could use. You can only use one program, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in our in our area, there's the state has offered some support, some you know, low interest loans and things of that nature. Um, so there's different programs. It's like you're really going to need again. One of our uh, team member, Jason, my partner, all his focus was in the last two weeks is to dig into all these documentation, all these different elements, and find us whatever programs we can find, again, so we could withstand this, last it, and come out the other side with everybody, you know, on board. Got it. Yeah, I know our experience is we deal with a, a smaller regional bank here in South Florida, 
they're in multiple states. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're, they're not too small. Yeah. But uh, we, we weren't able to even submit the application until six o'clock last night. Yeah. And even then it told us that we would have a second email where we could submit all of our paperwork and we haven't even received that link yet. So we're sitting here okay. in, in limbo. Do yeah. you think that there's some type of prioritization happening at the banks as to who they're, who they're helping? I'm not saying that that's federally mandated because it wasn't yeah. federally mandated, but no. yet all these banks uh, who have been bailed out for many, many years yeah. and they're being bailed out again. Yeah. Do you think they're picking and choosing who to serve? So I'm I'm doing it from a, I'm going to say what I'm going to say from my again just from my opinion not as a oh, that's why I, I that's yeah. why I have you on the show I want your yeah. opinion I, I'm not so um, I believe again so when we applied one of my clients who helped me with the let me know as part of the banking system and he said okay let's just you know we'll we'll help you as soon as we can on this one and I asked he says uh, look our priorities right now is to support as many as possible as many people as possible on who you know who are clients have loans with us, right? They want to keep those companies, you know, alive so they can pay their loans. They have a vested interest in helping keep interest, those companies right? alive. Right. So I think that there's a little bit of priorities. I mean, I'm sure banks have different levels of clients like, like we all do. Um, and they, they put some effort into making sure that the guys with the, you know, most amount of risk, um, you know, are, you know, are processed as soon as possible. Right. Yeah. So, no, I, I think that that's a, uh, an interesting, I think it's a, a very logical assumption as to how they're going about it. And by the way, we do have uh, some folks saying hello. So, Taylor's Whipple from Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Taylor's actually on Team One Firefly. So, he's, he's yeah. watching uh, Navote. And uh, thanks, Taylor, for, for listening and watching. And if you are out there uh, watching, definitely uh, say hello. Let us know if you have any questions for Navot, and uh, certainly happy to try to read those off if time permits. Uh, now, Navot, you have a, uh, I've been following you on LinkedIn. I've been following kind of your feed and, you know, you have this strong uh, mandate around leadership and specifically value-based leadership. You referenced uh, uh, Ray Dalio's book. Yeah. What's his book title again? Principles. Principles. Real simple. <laughs> Real simple. And, yeah. um, and, and you and I, uh, uh, in the past and as recent as before we went live, you really talked about this concept of it's not, don't tell me, show me. Yes. And yeah. the way you're caring for your people, even right now in this crisis, that's, that's a demonstration. It's not words, but it's actions. Yeah. Um, walk me through, because you, you also made a joke. You said, Ron, plumbers have it figured out. Yeah. In terms of labor versus product focus. And what, what do you think you, you have an observation that our industry globally mm -hmm. has a mixed set of, or a, a, maybe a mixed up set of priorities. And I agree with you. And so I, do you mind expounding on that? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, you know, a lot of companies when you go on their website, they, they will tell you, how about all these great things about all these principles they have or all those values and missions and stuff like that. And they write it and they market it. I'm sure you see it as a, as a marketing person all the time, right? We say big words, but it's really how you act that defines what your priorities are. And I'm going to tell you a story, a quick story, I think, to explain that on a marketing side. Uh-oh, so, I hope it's a good story. 
<laughs> yeah, it is, it is. It's a great, it's a great story because it does, it does really show the uh, the concept of priorities. Yeah. So um, I don't do marketing in my company, and uh, my marketing team has been posting a lot of posts again and again about really elaborate shade lighting and hot and audio. So and, and constant, we really put, you know they've been pushing it, pushing it, you know. And um, I had a conversation with uh, a client, uh, and he says. Yeah, I didn't think that you guys do any automation. And I said, why do you think that? He said, because your feeds don't show any of it, right? So the message we sent out is our priorities were basically sent by what we posted, right? So what you post is what people believe is your priorities. Mm -hmm. So it's your actions that define your priorities, not what you wrote down, not what you, you know, that your website can say all these beautiful things, but if if you deliver you know, poor jobs, or if you deliver on, you know, not so well-maintained uh, type of, you know, projects, that's who you are. And it's the same thing our industry, I think, is lacking. And it's not across the entire, there's obviously really good players and, and, and in between. And to me, priorities is, you know, so if you say, you know, our people are the best and we have an amazing engineering team and our installers are the best, but then you discount labor, then your priorities say that you don't think that you'll let, you know, so you think about what your guys are looking at. Every time you have a job and a customer pushes back and the first thing you do is you give away labor or you hand over a full document worth of engineering and you say it's free. What does you think the people, those engineers that you basically gave away their labor for free think? And I think you and I talked about this and it's how it leads our industry also to the concept of recurrent revenue or, the model of 24-7 support, right? In the past, what we said is, here's my guy's number, just call him anytime. What does that mean? In a, val in a world of value proposition, you just said there is no value to this. His time is no value. And yet what percentage of our industry does not place uh, a definition or a set of rules of engagement around service or ongoing support? Yeah. As you said, it's just Hey, here's here's my technician cell phone. Call him if there's ever a problem. Yeah. Or call me anytime, right? We've I, listen. I've done it. I'm not saying I'm I'm you know I'm immune to this behavior. We've done it over the years, and I realized that we were hurting ourselves as a company by doing this because we were basically abusing our guys' time. You know, our guys and girls. We were abusing their time. You know, on a on a weekend, and they come back on a, on a Monday and they're beat up. They never had any time to rest. So, I mean, we talked about this whole concept of what we did at Spire. Of, of, yeah, uh, I'm going to share your screen. Go ahead and talk about okay. it, and I'm going to put it up on the screen for our for our audience. So we we looked at uh, – uh, we worked with um, – initially with uh, One Vision, um, and we learned so much from them about the concept of service, you know, uh, guaranteed service versus kind of like what most of our industry does, which is best effort. Best effort means I'll pick up the phone and call, you know, a technician, and I'm hoping he's going to answer the phone. And if he's not answering the phone, I'm going to call the owner. If he doesn't answer the phone, I'm going to get really upset. And versus guaranteed service where you call a number dedicated for the support and you always get somebody, which is really what we're trying to repair. And I learned that from I'll give Joey a lot of credit. I learned that we basically repair the connection between individuals and technology. The relationship between them—that's what this is what it does. 
Um, so at Spire, over the last couple of years, we've been moving into a platform we call SPS Ready. Uh, SPS stands for Spire Premium Support. It's all posted on our website. You can learn everything you want on it. Um, we share it because we believe that, I hope as many people in the industry will take that approach. Um, but SPS Ready, what started as just as a, an ability to monitor jobs and help people remotely, turn into a completely re, uh, reorganization of the company uh, around service. So everything has to be built in such a way that a system is can be supported for the long run. And so it had to be designed that way. It had to be uh, picked products that can support it to be you know, long lasting. Um, and you had to have your, you know, your um, service team approve the way it's built. So it caused us to change the design, product selection, rack building st you know, standards, everything got changed around it. So um, I, I think this is where we, I think this is where our uh, priorities are shifting. We're so focused. I, I hear so many people talk about we sell Control 4, we sell Creston, we are a big Creston house. And I'm like, you also, by doing so, you know, you're saying your priorities are not you and your team. The priorities is the, is the product you sell. And you and I know products change. Companies go in and out of favor. And really, we're losing from a branding perspective. I'm sure you would appreciate it. We're no longer the brand. The brand is what we sell. Yeah. You know, when I, we start engaging with uh, technology professionals and, and I start evaluating their their website or their marketing materials, it is so often, and I would challenge because they didn't know better, it is so often that they are uh, a representative or a reseller of brand X, Y, or Z, mm -hmm. and they're diminishing their owned brand position. Correct. Where the Great. So you're a control four dealer like the other 300 companies mm -hmm. in your city. Correct. Like, well, mm -hmm. How does that make you better? Why would you shout that from the mountaintops? Right. And I'm I'm not picking on Control Four for the for example. I'm no, just in no. any brand. It, that's yeah. the scenario. Yeah. But yet, as you've done very well with Spire, the brand is Spire. Yeah. They're getting yeah. the Spire experience. Correct. And the tools in your tool belt might change. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, and as I said in the beginning, I mean, even the jobs that we that we do, some of them have full on Lutron Savant, and some of them have Sonos and you know, uh, just a Sonos Meridian or something like that. But at the end of the day, they're all the same. They're all built the same. They all have the same standard. And guess what? Every single job comes with one year built into it of SBS. It's not an option. You have to pay for it for one year. And do we you, and it, it might be on, be on your website, Navote, yeah. but do you, within your plan, and here I'll put it back on the screen, do you offer the, the, and tell me where to go if, if it is the case, do you offer that even, do you have a zero price package where you're at least setting the rules of engagement as to what they could expect for technical yeah. support, so ongoing if, support? Yeah. So if, if you look at the, um, if you look at the, the two plans is one, you're on the plan, one, you're not on the plan. Okay. You know, we'll always, you know, our companies, one of our principles is like support always. You may not, we not might be at you know twenty four seven, but if you are a client and you you know and you decided not to be on this program, you will always get service. Okay. Right, just like the discussion we had earlier with the banks. You, I may not be there in twenty four hours. I may be there in three days. Right, right. 
No, that, that's fair. I, I've been getting a number of phone calls this week. As you can imagine, I know lots of people in lots of places, and I've been getting phone calls about service plans this week. I have nothing to do with service plans. Yeah. But they're like, Ron, I know you don't, but we know you're going to point us in the right direction. And th- because there's, you know, I'm going to get into the financial piece, the concept of recurring revenue. And I agree with you. It's not about the recurring revenue. That's the resultant of you delivering right. value. And if you can design solutions that deliver ongoing value, your customer will pay you for that. Yes. The side effect of them paying for that is that even when you have uncertain times of new sale revenue coming in, Mm -hmm. you have that service revenue coming in and and that thing, you know, uh, cash revenue is oxygen for a business. Correct. Correct. And it and it leads to, again, if we talk about a branding, right? So um, again, we talked about like the different options that are available in the industry right now. So you can do it yourself. There's one vision, there's Parasol. I'm, I don't, I'm sure there's other ones. And the, the concept of it is that you, your brand is, you know, I have clients who come to me and say, I want to use you. And the reason I want to use you is because I know I'm going to get that level of support. So that became a sales, as a, it's a sales tool because it's, the, it's no longer just, oh, we have that. Yeah. Or, you know, it's part of our value proposition of support always, right? Um, you know, so I have a client and I have discussion with people about it. And it's like, well, you know, the shade, I'm going to give it to somebody else. And I said, that's, that's fine. Just be very mindful that that element of the job is no longer part of the support part. So if you're calling and you're calling about a shade issue, we, we tell you, sorry, this is not part of our scope. And I can tell you 99% of the time, that changed the tune really quickly. Okay, never mind. you can handle it. You take care of it. Because it's no longer just about the parts that you sold or how much you, it's the, what happened to me three years from now, right? It's not like, you know, our industry is really good at developing, designing, building something, but we really, do we really take into consideration longevity? Right. It's like, where is the stand from, you know, three years from now? And that's the best stories I get is people telling me I've had the system for four years. It's been humming. And then the couple of times I needed support, it was instantaneous. I'm going to hit on it. I I didn't we didn't discuss it before the show went live, but this is just triggering an idea or uh, and I'm curious to hear your input. So you. And your peers, there, there's, uh, there are what you know we could consider well-run integration firms throughout the country, throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And they're yet at the manufacturer level, to so pick all of those brands, speakers, yeah. control systems, and so on. Yeah, they want to sell more product tomorrow than they did today. Mm-hmm. So often they will then go and they put on either rep firms or salespeople. And what do those salespeople go do? They go and uh, maybe with lack of coaching or mentorship from their leadership, they go put on new dealers. They put on new companies to sell that product. And the the result is in every market, you have a spectrum of well-run businesses Mm -hmm. uh, down to very poorly run businesses. Correct. And the the weight towards well-run businesses is probably very small. But- uh, you know, let's say the top 25% of the bit or the 25% of the businesses are maybe well-run, profitable, scalable, 
they'll weather this storm outside right now. They'll, they'll weather it. It'll hurt, but they'll weather the storm. Yeah. yeah. So yet the, the less, uh, the, the more poorly run businesses, maybe the ones that don't have service departments or mm -hmm. the ones that are hesitant to ever call a customer with a service plan because they know they may not finish the last 5% of the job. And so they're busy going on to the next job. Right. Um, what's the right answer? Because the vendors want to sell more gear mm -hmm. and there could be a belief system that will then go and support and love on your best dealers and help them grow. But admittedly, maybe they all don't want to grow because you're a privately held business. You can decide where you want to be right. and that's going to be maybe all that you do. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in my industry who kind of reached a certain level you know, that, you know, like that number. And I think it's kind of hovering around the six to $7 million. And then beyond that, it's very hard in this industry to make the bigger jump and go to a, something even larger than that. You have to have a really strong market to support something like that. Yes. So here's what I would have done if I'm in, in manufacturers. And I've seen many of them who do that. There's plenty of manufacturers who really practice what I would consider a more responsible distribution. Um, and what they do is a they support the 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 topper the top end lead you know dealers and they don't have to be about dollars. I always said there's some amazing three man companies who do phenomenal work, right? I agree. And, uh, so it's not about the size of the company. It's it's the it's the size of the commitment, right? Mm -hmm. To be great, right? So if I was a, a manufacturer, I would focus on people who are committed to be great. And understand the limitation of they don't may not want to grow as far as you want, but maybe you should make me products that fit what I truly need that, you know, support, not easier to support, bring better value. And then you can incrementally raise your prices to give me something that lasts longer, has more value, right? And has better performance. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to sell as much. You know, you don't have to sell as many, you know, hundreds and thousands of little widgets if you sell something of value. Um, I would also spend, and and again, there's some manufacturers do an amazing job. Right now, our, my team is on, you know, uh, are doing webinars upon webinars upon webinars of different companies offering some amazing training. Train people, but don't just train them on the technical side. Train them how to run a better business. Mm. You know, encourage them to go to EOS. You know, encourage them to go. I have and an learn. EOS question here waiting for you. So, so okay. finish this answer. <laughs> so, put them in a put them in a better state of mind to be successful, rather than being in that rat race of I didn't complete this one and I have to go to the next one because I didn't make any money, right? And it's really odd to me. Again, again, until two weeks ago, right? The biggest the biggest source of complaint in the industry was we don't have enough people. We don't have good people, we don't have good people. And then we don't charge for labor. I, I just don't understand how any, it's just, you know. Well, I can say one thing confidently. The we don't have enough people, that is now gone from our, yeah, our yeah. vocabulary and lexicon for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe not by choice, but, you know, through yeah. realities. So yeah. I've got a question here. Uh, Taylor, he says, uh, would love to hear Navot's experience with EOS. So that's the EOS traction system. System, yeah. So um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll say a quick thing about EOS. So EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, 
um, started in, uh, uh, actually started in Detroit. Uh, and it's a concept of, uh, for smaller businesses uh, to run their company on an operating system, right? So rather than having, you know, ideas of how we do things, we actually capture how we do things. It's very structured. Um, it's very honest and it's very um, disciplined. And it works for companies with three people and works for company with hundreds of employees. Um, highly recommend it. Uh, we started in 2016. I, I had my first meeting with my implementer. Uh, he set me around a uh, table with my leadership team and he asked me a really, really tough question that really changed the course of the company. Uh, he says, so of all the people you have in your company, if you had to hire him again, who would you not hire? And I said, well, maybe this person and that person and that person. And he looks at me like, well, why are they here? That's a shocking and question. That was a shocking question that I led me to a complete overhaul of the entire company. We were extremely profitable. We were extremely, we were doing great financially, but I was a miserable human being. I'll be very honest. And, um, what EOS did is basically led me to kind of really understand how I want to run things. What's important to me? Like, again, meaningful work, meaningful relationship. What are the common core of the, of the business? What do we do? What do we not do? And then it kind of leads you into when you have a decision to make, like, am I going to fire all my employees right now or not? No, that's not what we do because that's not who we are. Right. That's what, that's what having core, you know, core in like value proposition, uh, that EOS brings to the table. My experience with EOS is amazing. I would highly recommend it to anyone. So I, I feel uh, I don't believe in fate. Okay, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, but I'll just tell you something that's very fortunate for my business. So I had been hearing of success story. I did not know you were on EOS, but I've been hearing of EOS success stories across our industry for the last yeah. four or five years, and. Um, you know, almost this re repetitive drumbeat of yeah. businesses really getting into proper shape by implementing it. Mm -hmm. And I went ahead and made the leap for my business last summer. Yeah. And so I spent the fall, I hired an implementer. I actually had him on the show, uh, you know, five, six shows ago. So yeah. it's, it's on our webpage, everyone go to one firefly, go to the automation page and you can watch that interview with my implementer. And uh, we implemented over the course of the fall and uh, Q1, this Q1 2020 was our first full quarter operating within EOS. Yeah. And I look at what, you know, the, the war that we are now going through called COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And I just feel so fortunate that I have a new set of tools and processes and methodologies to follow as a business practitioner. And it scares me to think of what I'd be going through right now if I did not have those tools. Yeah. If I did not have that leadership team around me and having the frank open discussions that we now have that I, I thought I was growing and profitable for the last five years. But there were dysfunctions. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so anyone out there, I would recommend take both of our advice, go pick up the book called Traction <laughs> and do it and do it. And yeah. uh, as hard as it's going to be, because uh, Navot, Navot just mentioned one hard question. There's about a 500 hard questions. 
And um, when you go through those and peel the layers back, it's it's game changing. Yeah. Um, you, you asked me a question earlier about our, our industry too. I mean, what manufacturers should do. And I, I'd like to also, you know, from a, if I was a small company right now and I just started or, you know, and I, I wonder what to do, you know, there's so many good um, opportunities of talking to other people. You know, we joined uh, HDSA. There's all these other buying, like ASEAN and all these other buying groups. They provide, you know, HDSA for us, for example, provided so many different valuable, you know, abilities to communicate right now with other with other dealers and says, what are you doing? What can, you know, what can I do to help you? And I think sharing information and not thinking that you're on your own um, is really, you know, can help you in this in, in these types of situations because we're all experiencing the same problems. But let's at least if we share and you learn one thing, like we talked about earlier about PTOs, and you learn how to just leverage two more weeks, you know, it there could be the difference between you coming out of this really strong and coming out of this really weak. And I think that's the key is, and I, I love what you're doing with this, with this, you know, show is let's share ideas, let's figure out what, what can be done, what worked for me, what didn't work for me. And if one person can take something out of it, that'd be great. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, scary to think you're out there on an island by yourself. But you know yeah. what we all need to know is we're not out there on our own. There's no. a whole community within the the CDA organization, within the buying groups, within our industry, and uh, perhaps within your church, within your local community, um, uh, uh, within your synagogue, within your your community. There's people that are going through the same struggles as you, yeah. and it really helps. Uh, you know, to talk about it, a just talk about like what are you doing? What do you, how do you feel? How what are you thinking yeah. about? And then getting ideas from others because you they might have an idea like you you and I were talking about PTO. I think it's a brilliant idea, and I might be doing something that's valuable to you. Yeah, exactly. And so find that community now more than ever. And I can yeah. tell you, so many watching this and listening to this, um, so many of you operate as if you're on an island. You're so you've been up till now. So busy being busy, yeah, that you have on your own not been willing to slow down and pause and take an evaluation of where you're at and where you're going. And yeah. now everyone's forced to do that, yeah, yeah. And there's a community out there ready to help, yeah. Uh, as I said, when we started, if somebody has questions for me after this and they want to reach out to me, uh, I, I would be more than happy to share with you whatever I can. I'll share with you whatever process we've gone through. How do we get to the whole concept of SPS? I'll share with you the whole documentation for SPS. You know, because I truly believe in, if this industry rise up, we have so much potential, uh, especially after what just happened with people being sequestered at home. I think people think about this. They've been at home looking at their old televisions, their old sound systems, their bad Wi-Fi, and there is a pent-up demand of of none that we've ever seen before and they're sitting there watching you know looking at this and like oh, i'm going to do this I'm going, as soon as this is over and our industry is probably the best one suited because we adjust quickly we're relatively small we cover a very large geographical area um and we could provide that personal attention that a lot of the bigger companies cannot right because we're focused but you have to be aware of the opportunity and um, just take advantage of it. 
No, no. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm going to give another shout out here. Then I'm going to leave you with one last question to vote. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give uh, a shout out to uh, Tomas He's coming to us from Panama. Good morning, uh, Tomas. Thank you for, thank you for watching. And uh, he also says, uh, totally agree with Navot's comment. Same happens here in Franklin, Panama. And uh, yeah, so thank you for doing that. And then he gave us another shout out. He said, exactly. So <laughs> um, Navot, what, uh, let's just leave it with this. What advice do you have for, for those that are out there? Some are, are anxious and ready to get going. Some are sitting in fear with high levels of anxiety. Um, what, what piece of wisdom can you share? So, you know, um, being in a situation of fear before in my life, uh, in, you know, in, in war, um, I think it, it's okay to be afraid. It's, it's perfectly fine to be afraid. It's not okay to overreact. You know, it's not okay to completely lose your value proposition, your, you know, your core beliefs. Um, so if you find yourself in that, you know, in that position of being afraid, is don't let it just capture you. Just let it, you know. Go talk to someone, go reach out, go ask for advice. There's so many people out there ask, you know, trying to help. Uh, my wife is in the healthcare business right now. And compared to what they're going through right now, I mean, I talk about fear of life, not fear from, of losing some money or, you know, even as painful as losing a business is. The loss of life. Think about all these nurses, doctors, even the people working in a grocery store. It's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to, you know, to just freeze. And the best way to unfreeze is to go back to your support system. And if you don't have one, this is a great time to create one. Amen. Navot, how can those listening or watching uh, follow up with you directly if they have that interest? Uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, that way I can say, I can, you know, the, the beautiful part about LinkedIn is that when you reach out to me, I can learn more about you before we talk so I can understand a little bit about who you are, what your company, what your business is. Um, reach out to me. If, if you want to um, learn about what we've done, I am more than open to share anything that is, you know, that, there's not a whole lot of things that I consider proprietary uh, because the only thing proprietary inspires our belief system. Um, and that's hard to duplicate. Um, I can give it to you. Uh, and but you got to go implement it. <laughs> We're going to it. But anything you, you know, like if you, you know, heard something here that we've done, if you want to learn more about EOS and learn about what we've done with EOS or about SBS, call me. I'd be more than happy to send you documentations, process, everything you want. Because uh, I truly believe we have an amazing opportunity to come out of it really, really strong as an industry. And it's really important that it would be a really solid industry that believes in good quality work uh, that people respect not fear of. Agreed. Well, Navat, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, sir. Um, I'm, I'm going to close out here, but hang out for me afterwards. Uh, you and I will reconnect as I, I go offline here. So just uh, bear with me. But uh, thank you again, Navot, for coming on episode 105 of Automation Unplugged. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, 
Facebook Live recordings and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.